Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student, whether you're in college or high school or just a student of life. And hey, guess what? I'm back from my vacation in Japan, which was absolutely amazing, by the way. Completely reset all my stress levels, and I'm ready to get back into making new things. And with my return comes the return of the weekly podcast episodes. And we're starting off this new batch of episodes with an interview with somebody that I am really fascinated by. Her name is Gretchen Rubin, and she is a uh, author of multiple best-selling books. She's written a book called The Happiness Project, which studied uh, why people are happy and how they can become more happy. And her new book, is called Better Than Before, Mastering the Habits of Our Everyday Lives, and it is about, you guessed it, habit building. Now, this book is really cool. I really wanted to dig into it on the recommendation of a friend, and I was hoping that it would be different from another one of my favorite books, The Power of Habit, and it actually is. Specifically, Gretchen's book goes into the habit building techniques that work for different types of people, and this is something I didn't get to read about in the other book on habit building. So we're going to talk about this concept and other concepts around habit building in this episode. I think you'll find it massively useful. And uh, if you like it, definitely check out Gretchen's book. And you can also find the show notes for this episode, which will link to that book and all the other cool things we talk about in this episode over at CIGpodcast.com. This is episode 63. So just scroll down and find that in the list of episodes and you'll get links, you'll get a summary, and you'll find out how to subscribe to the show. So that's all I've got for this intro. Hope you enjoy this episode. Let's dive right in. All right, Gresham, welcome to the show. It's great to be talking to you. Yeah, thank you. So one of my friends actually pointed uh, me to you on Twitter a few months ago, and I had heard of your books on happiness before, but I was really stoked to see that you were writing a book on habits because yeah. this is a topic that I got ridiculously interested in uh, maybe midway through 2014. Mm, and yeah. I did a bunch of reading on building habits for myself and a lot of things worked out. Um, but then reading through your book, I realized that there's a lot on habit formation that I didn't learn just from reading like power of habit and a bunch of scientific studies. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's really yeah. cool. So I'm, I'm curious though, like what was your inspiration for writing about habits instead of happiness? Well, you know, I'd been, uh, I'd been reading and thinking and talking to people about happiness for years. And I began to notice a pattern, which was that when I would talk to people about a big happiness boost that they'd got, or even more often a big happiness challenge that they were struggling with, they often pointed to something that at its core was really about a habit. Like somebody would say, well, I'm just exhausted all the time. Well, that's about the habit of getting enough sleep. And so I got more and more interested in the subject of habits and how they can relate to happiness because, you know, a lot of times 
it's not that we don't know what would make us happier or healthier, more productive. We get it. We know. <laughs> um, and we feel like we want it. But then for some reason, we're not, it doesn't translate into action. And mm. so I became very preoccupied with this thing of like, well, why is it that sometimes habits change and sometimes they don't? Why is it sometimes we're able to stick to these things and then other times not? Um, it did, it's From reading the research, I agree. It seemed to me like there were a lot of questions that were not answered. Um, and so I became really determined to solve the riddle of habits myself. Yeah. And you went about it mostly through doing experiments on your own habits, right? Well, on my habits and then also just watching the people around me. I mean, I I call myself a street scientist because what I really try to do is to understand just what's happening right in front of me. And I think that um, sometimes when you're doing research, you really you study something that's like such a little tiny aspect or it's how you can design the study more than like, well, what what's actually going on in real life around these things? For instance, one of the things that really surprised me and I've never seen anybody talk about this with habit, about habit formation. One of the things that really surprised me is over and over people told me almost exactly the same story, which was I really wanted to get in the habit of exercising. So I decided I would train for the marathon. And it was amazing. I trained for the marathon and it was great. And I ran the marathon and I loved it and I haven't run since. And to <laughs> me, this didn't make sense. And if you read like the like all the conventional wisdom, it's like set yourself a goal, you know, like work toward it. That's going to help you form this habit. But but. So what was going on with the marathon? It didn't make sense. And then I heard other stories, things like, oh, I decided to give up sugar for Lent. And I thought, this is great. I've quit sugar, but now I'm eating sugar just as much. Or Mm. I did a 30-day yoga challenge with my friends, and we were like, oh, this is amazing. We're doing so much yoga. But now I'm not doing any more yoga. And what I realized, like, when you're trying to form a habit, having a goal, having a finish line is often counterproductive. Because once you've hit a finish line, you feel like, well, I've finished you know, and you don't have okay. a plan for how you're going to continue. And you sort of feel like, oh, well, I've done that. And so if you keep going, you, then you feel like you have to start over and starting over is hard. And mm-hmm. so I feel like a lot of what I was doing was just sort of trying to listen to what people were saying to me, trying to observe the patterns and the people around me and in myself um, and really see what was going on in real life circumstances. Um and I think, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing that I figured out um, was that I, I feel I feel like a lot of times when you read the habit research, they assume that like, well, we're all the same. If it works for you, it's going to work for me. And if it works for Ben Franklin, it's going to work for you. And yeah. if we could only find the right habit, do it first thing in the morning, do it for 30 days, give yourself a cheat day, start small, that that's the answer. And what I realized is it it works for some people sometimes, mm-hmm. but there is no magic one-size-fits-all solution. So I came up with – I identified the 21 strategies that people use to make or break habits. And so it's like, well, some are going to work for you and some are going to work for me. And some work at some times and not at others. And you just sort of have to begin by understanding yourself and figuring out how you can set things up to suit you. Yeah. I, I kind of had a little bit of that insight when it came to um, either going to bed early or late. Yeah. Because I'd always heard that common adage, like you should go to bed early and wake up yep. really yep. early and work. And yep. that works for me. Um, yep. Then I talked with a friend of mine and he's like, doesn't work for everyone. You know, no. if somebody gets no. all their energy at 1 a.m., then they no. should do that, you know? No, that's absolutely true. And that's a really important, I talk about that in the strategy of distinctions. It's very important because there truly are night people and morning people. If you're a night person, it's not like you can just train yourself to go to sleep earlier and wake up earlier. It's hardwired. There's this fascinating book called Internal Time, which talks about chronotypes. And Mm. the fact is, if you're a night person, you're going to be at your most creative and productive much later in the day. And so if you're trying to do something like get up early and exercise, it's probably not going to work for you because you can really barely get up 
up in time to get to work. And so that's a perfect example of where you could set yourself up for success or you can set yourself up for failure just by how you think about forming the habit of exercise because or practicing guitar or writing your novel in your free time or doing your podcast or whatever it is. It, I get why it makes sense on paper and it works for you and it works for me because we're morning people. But if you're a night person, it's not going to work for you. So I have a question for you that I haven't seen covered in the book yet. Uh, have you encountered people that are kind of split between these two extremes? Because for me, I find that on the one hand, I can be very, very creative at night. Um, in the morning, it works too. But the thing is, if I get up past eight, I sort of feel like my day is shot almost. Hmm. Like I feel bad about it. So I have to get up really early to feel okay about, I don't know, like I haven't wasted my day. And it's like a, I don't know, it's like a split thing. I don't feel like I'm 100% a morning person or 100% a night person. Do you feel that at all? Uh, uh, well, I think it, it would be really interesting to read this book because it really does go very carefully through the different chronotypes mm. um, and ha- kind of how you know. And I, it sounds like you really are a morning person. Now, the fact is, even a morning person can wake themselves up by like doing something like checking their work email or like turning on Game of Thrones at you know 10.30 p.m. And then you're like, wow, I'm not tired. This is amazing. I'm getting so much done. But the fact is, um, you've sort of put yourself into that second wind and mm. – um, but often maybe you find is that you wake up at the same time in the morning anyway. Like if you you might stay up late working or whatever and it seems productive, but then in the morning you're not making up that time. You know, because and so um and and one of the things internal time talks about is social jet lag, which is that some people are perpetually jet lagging themselves just as if they were flying to the west coast from the east coast every weekend because on the weekends they stay up 3 hours later and then they try to sleep in later and so they're constantly try- catching up. So so like figuring out how to manage your time, your sleep time, it, you know, if you're trying to be happier, healthier, more productive, getting enough sleep is really crucial. And it's it's a habit that's worth really thinking about because, you know, it's something that for a lot of us, you know, for a lot of people, late at night is their goof off time. Like the last mm. hour or two before they go to bed, it's like their, it's their leisure time. It's when they feel like they're entitled to do whatever they want. And the idea of going to sleep earlier and missing that is like, they can't stand that thought, you know, but if you need the sleep, you need the sleep. So it really is a habit that's worth really thinking about. Um, what is the habit that you want and what's going to serve you best over the long term? Yeah. I feel like I'm a anti-social jet lagger in that case. Then yeah, I tend to go nine. to bed at the same time every day, but weekends yep. I'll get up later. Which is weird because on in the weekdays, I feel like I get enough sleep and I'm pretty energized. You mentioned that you get up at six every single morning. Yes. And your husband, is he annoyed by that or is he just kind of like used to it? He's used to it. It doesn't annoy him. No. Okay. No. Yeah. My girlfriend was the exact same way. She was pretty annoyed with it the first few times. Now it's just yeah. sort of a part of life and she doesn't barely even wake up. Do you it's li- funny. It's funny. I kind of forget that other people like that. That's a thing. Like I can also sleep with the light on or the TV on. And mm. so I'll just go to sleep and my husband will just be awake next to me. And then I wake up early and he just stays asleep. I kind of forget that other people go to bed at the same time and wake up at the same time because we just do our we just have very different. He's much more of a night person. I'm much more of a day person. I mean, most of the mm. time we're there together, but and we're definitely in the bedroom together, but we're not um, we're not on the same same sleep schedule. Yeah. I feel like I just don't need to sleep as much. I'll be the one that usually stays up to read a book or something Mm, and then get up at six. Is it just natural for you, though? Like, is it just like six, bam, you're awake? 
Uh, well, I do set an alarm, and so sometimes it wakes me up. But generally, I aim to wake up naturally, um, to get mm-hmm. enough sleep to wake up naturally. But like right now, I'm on this book tour. My book, Better Than Before, just came out, and so I'm on book tour. So I've been traveling a lot. I have, so I have a lot of like really early morning flights, or I have time shifts or things. And so then it's, but I really try to get back into waking up at 6 a.m. I find that, but also I'm the kind of habits person where I really. Um, one of the things that I learned in this is that some people, people's attitudes towards habits are very different. Like I love habits. I embrace them. And then some people are just sort of philosophically opposed to them. That's just their perspective. And Mm. somebody said to me like, well, why would you want to write a book about something that everybody has kind of an initial bad reaction, even to the word? I'm like, are you kidding? Because I love the word habits. To me, discipline brings freedom. And so for me, it's very comforting to like get up at 6 a.m. and do my usual thing. But now I realize having done this book, I realize, well, some people really feel very differently about it. That's not the kind of life they want. That's not what's going to allow them to feel happier, healthier, and most productive. And that's fine. It's not like one of us is right and one of us is wrong. But we, but you have to take that into account as you're setting up your habits um, to know what kind of environment is going to allow you to thrive. Yeah. And I think reading that sort of illuminated something uh, like this phenomenon that when you're writing or creating things, you sort of attract a certain type of reader or like circle of influence and fans. Um, because Almost everyone who talks to me about habits is like pro habit. Like, yes, yeah, I want to build right. them. Just yeah. by definition. Yeah. Uh-huh. And like, but there's the few people who will like comments on a video I've done or something and be like, why would I want to build a bunch of yes. habits and become an automaton? Right. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. I'm like, wait. Know, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, it's interesting because now I have this podcast with my sister called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, which is tons of fun. But what's good about it, I think, is my sister's a very different type of personality from me. And so we'll talk about something and and like I'll have my way of thinking about it, which to me seems like totally obvious and you know natural. But then my sister has a very different view. And so it, it's sort of an example of how two people who get along really, really well and are super close um, might have a different view about something. And we kind of have to talk through like, well, what would you, what, how would you view this? How would I view this? Um, like one of the things um, where I actually, uh, my sister thought she was very different from me, but then she actually came around to my way of thinking was um, one of the distinctions I draw is for people who are abstainers and moderators. It turns out when you're dealing with a really strong temptation, whether that's something like, you know, ice cream or in my sister's case, French fries or something like ESPN.com or BuzzFeed, um, if you're dealing with a strong temptation, some people do better when they have none, where they just give something up altogether. And then some people do better when they indulge in moderation. So that's abstainers and moderators. And I just am a hardcore abstainer. And you wouldn't mm. believe what I abstain from. I abstain from a lot. And that's what makes me feel happy and like saves me mental energy. But my sister always thought she was a moderator because it sounds more sensible. But then she finally realized, man – because French fries are her kryptonite. She's like, actually, I tried your way and your way is easy. Abstaining is easier. And I was amazed because I never thought she was an abstainer. But but in general, we kind of have different views on things. But it's interesting just when you hear someone else's perspective, you can you can say like, well, does that ring true for me or does that not ring true for me? And it sheds a light on your nature, whether you agree or disagree. Yeah. And that's I think it's a good thing to realize, because for me, it was always like, abstaining makes sense, right? You know, you just don't have the thing in your house and you can't do it. But uh, I think for some people, it makes it easier to have like a really bad uh, relapse if they're like at the store or something. 
No, and you know, and, and as an abstainer, since you're an abstainer, you know, I was always ex- like so puzzled by these people who had like the bar of fine chocolate in their desk, and like once a day they'd have one little square of fine chocolate. And to me, I was like, man, that chocolate bar would be gone. You know, if I have one square, I'm having the whole thing. I'm going all the way. Yep. I can have no chocolate, but I can't have one square of chocolate. But for moderators, they like knowing that. And if they have it there, maybe they don't even want it. But if they don't, if they're told you can't have it, then they then they that, that's right. They just that, that messes with their heads. And mm-hmm. so this is just an example of like, it's not I'm right, you're wrong, but it's like, but if people don't understand that these are both legitimate ways of looking at the world, they can, there can be a lot of conflict because you're like, well, why, why can't you just manage yourself better? And like, why can't you just not buy it and bring it into the house? You know, it's like, well, we got to figure out a way that works for both of us. Yeah, exactly. My girlfriend gets mad at me. Um, the new grocery store in my town sells very fine Belgian chocolate and I bought yeah. a big block of it. Yeah. And then the next day, uh, she was like, do you want some ice cream? And I said, no. And she's like, oh, you could have some of that chocolate. And I didn't say anything because it was already gone. See, there you go. You're an abstainer, <laughs> right? All or so nothing. I can't, yeah, All or I nothing. can't have the, it in the house. The thing is, but you just have to admit that to yourself. Like mm-hmm. a friend of mine said, I know myself. I can have no wine or I can have four glasses of wine. I can't have one glass of wine. Now, for me, that's not a strong temptation. I can have half a glass of wine, which he thinks is insane. Mm. He's like, I could never have half a glass of wine. But the thing is, it's like, and, and so when you go into the grocery store and you're looking at that bar, of fine, uh, that bar you have to say to yourself, I'm going to eat this bad boy in one day. That's just the reality. So I either buy it and do it. But like it, what happens too is sometimes people kind of kid themselves like, oh, I'll just have a little bit every day. It'll be awesome. You're like, wait a minute. Think about yourself. Is that mm-hmm. true for you? No, that's not the way you operate. And so again, it's this understanding what's true for you so that you can set up the habits. Because if you say to yourself – I'm going to eat the whole thing or none of it, then it's easier not to buy it and be in the habit of not buying that kind of stuff. But then if, you, if you're if you pretending to yourself that that's a possibility, you might buy a bar of chocolate like that week after week after week thinking like, oh, well, this week it's going to be different, you know, because, oh, yeah, starting tomorrow, I'm going to be so good. I'm going to be so disciplined. Yeah, well, what do you really like? You know, it's you got to you got to work with what you've got. Um, right. we, we all have certain we have a certain personalities, certain interests, certain values, certain priorities and, you know, and certain certain ways of going about the world and you have to think about i think a lot of times people get discouraged because they set up their habits in ways that aren't right for them and so then when Mm. they don't succeed they just feel they feel very bad they feel like oh i have no self-control like what's wrong with me and it's like it's nothing that's wrong with you you just have to set it up in a different way and when i was laying out the 21 strategies it was really very encouraging i felt because i was like there's a lot of different things like there's a lot of ways to skin a cat if you want to exercise or you want to work on your phd thesis or you want to learn Italian or you want to get better at the guitar, you know, practice meditation, eat more healthfully, all these things. Um, There's a lot of different ways to go about it. So you can set set it up in a way that's going to work for you. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really like good insight to drive home because the more you can know yourself, the better you're going to be able to like narrow that choice down to a binary Yes. yes, I will do this and this will yes. happen or I will yes. do that and that will happen. Not yeah, you have none to of the, begin. oh, I can make a different choice down the road. It probably won't happen. So, well, And in fact, along those lines, I in one of my strategies is the strategy of the four tendencies where I divide the whole world into four types of people, mm-hmm. upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. And there's actually a, a, there's a quiz on my on my site if people want to find out what they are, GretchenRubin.com. Ah, okay. Um, but one of the thing, one of the key insights that, as I as the book has come out, many people have said to me like, "Oh, this was the huge insight I got into myself," is that if you're an obliger, and actually that is the biggest tendency, most pe- the, the largest number of people fit into the tendency of obligers. It means that you're you readily meet outer expectations like a work deadline or request from a spouse. 
but you struggle to meet your inner expectations, like your own New Year's resolution. And and so if you're an obliger, what you need is external accountability. Mm-hmm. That is the thing, that is the key piece that's going to allow you to stick to a habit. So if you want to read more, join a book group where they expect you to read the book. If you want to exercise, work out with a friend who's going to be annoyed if you don't show up. If you need, if you want to switch careers, you know, but you're, but you're just spinning your wheels and not moving forward work with a coach who's going to hold you accountable and or start a group. I also have a starter kit on my site for people who want to start accountability groups for other people who want to make some kind of big change. And it's just that if you don't understand that is the missing piece, then you can't plug in the key, the key aspect that's the key element that's going to allow you to follow through. You might say to yourself, oh, maybe it's because I'm older. Or maybe it's because I'm so busy or maybe it's because the weather is bad or, you know, you have all these reasons. And I'm like, really, I think it's external accountability. Judging from the kind of person you are, if you have mm-hmm. that external accountability and then you say, look at your life. Do you always come through for other people? And they'll say, oh, I always come through for other people, but I blow off the stuff that's just for me. I'm like, that's right. And so the answer is make yourself externally accountable and you will follow through just as conscientiously as you do now. And But you have to understand what that key element is because otherwise you might just flail around trying this thing and that thing and it's not going to be – the thing that's going to allow you to succeed. Yeah. And I think with most, like with most of the things I tell people when they ask me about how to build habits, I have always defaulted to that uh, tendency without knowing it. It's always set up external systems of accountability, whether it's a site that'll charge your credit card if you don't do something or like a friend, but there are other ones. And actually through reading the book, I figured out that I think I'm a questioner Yeah, because anything that I think I need to do, I'm immediately like, do I actually need to do that? Right. Why do I need to mow my lawn every week? Right. Like that. Yes. There <laughs> so, you go. That sounds um, very questioner. Yeah. What are the other three tendencies then besides obligers? So, so the so it has to do with how you deal again with the outer expectation, like the deadline or the traffic regulation, and the inner expectation. So like your own desire to write a novel in your free time, keep a personal blog, do a podcast in your free time. Hmm. Um, so upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations alike. So they meet a work deadline, they keep a New Year's resolution without much trouble. And the key thing to remember about upholders is their expectations for themselves are just as important or more important as the expectations of others. That's what's distinctive about upholders. Next questioners, this is, and that's my tendency, mm. tiny tendency. I, many, many things were clear to me when I realized very, very few people are upholders. It's an extreme fringe personality, which, you know, I was amazed to find out on an extreme personality. Nobody else was surprised, but I was surprised. Right. So questioner, you say that's your tendency. So questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So they hate anything arbitrary, irrational, or unfair. They're always saying like, well, why am I doing it this way? Why am I listening to you? Um, so they make everything an inner expectation because – um, they'll do it if they buy into it. If they endorse it, they can do it right away, no no waiting. But if they don't, they're like, eh, I'm not going to do that. You know. Right. Then obligers, we talked about obligers, they readily meet outer but struggle to meet inner. So for instance, a friend of mine, I got the insight into this when a friend of mine said, here's the weird thing about me and exercise. I really want to exercise, but I just can't do it. But when I was in high school on the track team, I never missed track practice. Why could I go running then and I can't go running now? Well, she thought, oh, I'm older. I have kids. I work full time, blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, it's because when you had a team and a coach waiting for you, you would never miss. And now this is just your inner expectation. 
And so you're not able to follow through. So the key for you is the external accountability. Mm. And then finally, rebels. Also, this is the tiniest tendency, very conspicuous tendency, but very tiny. Um, and rebels resist all expectations and outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way. They want to act from choice and freedom. If you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to do the opposite. So almost <laughs> very few people are rebels. Only slightly more people are polders. Overwhelmingly, people are questioners or obligers. Yeah. And this has a lot of implications for teachers, parents, device manufacturers, healthcare professionals, HR people. Um, because if you want to reach people and be compelling, you have to either go to them through justifications and rationale or through external accountability measures. And so this is a really helpful thing to know. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like a lot of people kind of fall in between the two major ones. No, you know, it you seems so? like people would. And many people say to me like, oh, I'm cross between this and this. But really, in my observation, first of all, these are hardwired. It doesn't have to do with how you were raised. It's really something mm. that's part of your personality. You're not one thing at work and one thing at home. It's really a ubiquitous aspect of your personality. Okay. And really, in my judgment, people fall very tidily between the four tendencies. It doesn't seem like that would make sense, but over and over when somebody says, oh, I'm a cross between this and this, when I talk to them, I'm like, no, you're actually quite one thing. For instance, I, I was talking to some high school students and a high school student said, well, no, I'm a mix because let's say that I get an assignment from a teacher I respect. I do it without, without any hesitation. Like, an, and, and that way I'm an upholder. Mm. But when I have a teacher who I don't respect, then I just won't do it. I just totally blow it off. And in that way, I'm a rebel. But so I guess I bet you can guess what my answer is, which is, yeah, that seems very you're, questioner. You're a questioner because the questioner <laughs> is, why am I listening to you in the first place? What is your authority? If I don't, mm. if you're my doctor, but I don't trust your judgment, I'm not going to take the medicine. If you're my teacher and you tell me to do this assignment and I think you're an idiot, I'm not going to do it. That's a questioner. Okay. So sometimes I think people look like, and often obligers will think that they're upholders. They'll say, oh, I'm a total upholder, except that every once, but except that I, I can't do things for myself. And I'm like, well, that is what it means to be an obliger. Mm. Upholders and obligers both meet outer expectations. What's different is how do they feel about their inner expectations. Right. You know, like I can get up at 6 a.m. and work on my blog with no one checking on me for years. That's not, that is not challenging for me. That's a very upholder way of thinking about it. Well, for an obliger, that might be harder. Because that's just something that you're going to do. And there's no like concrete entity that there's is nobody, expecting it. There's no one looking over the shoulder. There's no one checking. There's no there's no one who's going to be inconvenienced or convenienced if I do it or don't do it. But let's say let's say I'm an obliger and I think, oh well, maybe this will maybe this will bother my husband. Mm. If my husband for one time said, oh, I hate it when you get up early. I wish he would stay. That would be very that would be very hard for me to resist because that's an outer expectation that's being imposed on me that's only being counterbalanced by my inner expectation. For an upholder, I'm like, well, you know. Sleep or not, as you like, but I'm getting up at 6 a.m. That's not hard for an upholder. <laughs> yeah. um, so those are how they break down. Maybe people who are questioners, after they've realized the rationale for making a certain decision, um, can feel like obligers. Because I, I think I'm very much a questioner. Well, ask, why do I need to do this? But I like something you point out in the book is that obligers are the type of, type of people who won't check over their own papers in English class. But the moment like a friend asks for help, They'll drop everything and do it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I do that. Um, if it, people ask me for help on something, I want to do it. But in most things, I'm a questioner. So maybe it's like. But what I, if you, but what if, what if, um, what if they asked you to do that? And you were like, why am I like, and you're like, but it, this doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you spell check this. 
um, because we're mm. not being graded on spelling. And they were like, oh, but I really want you to do it anyway. Would you do it then? Or you'd be like, no, I'm not going to waste my time because that's something that doesn't need to be done. How would you feel about that? I guess it depends on what kind of on which person it is. <laughs> because a lot of it is because because one of the things about the tendencies is that they look very different depending on other characteristics. This is mm. one tiny aspect of personality, but like a very considerate rebel looks very different from an inconsiderate rebel. Like okay. if you're a thoughtful, considerate, nice rebel, per, you know, person who's like really wants to get along well with others, you're going to behave differently. Or as a questioner, you know, you might be very, one of the values that you might do things for the reason that it's going to be helpful to someone else. That's a reason, that's a justification that makes sense to you because you're a considerate mm. person. But you're doing it out of rationale. You're not doing it like, well, I have to do it. If somebody asks me to do it, I have to do it. It doesn't matter if, I, if I'm neglecting my own thing. You're doing it okay. like, I'm choosing to do this because I want to help somebody else. I mean, I'm just speculating that that's your reason. Okay. So that's a legitimate reason, but it's a reason. You're acting – and if the person was, were, was asking you to do something that you thought was kind of arbitrary or, or unfair, like if somebody was always taking advantage of you, you might say like, hey, you know what? I don't have time to work on your stuff anymore because like you're asking me to do so much stuff. I don't have time to do my own stuff. That's not fair. Mm. That's not, you know, that doesn't make sense. Whereas for, you know, obligers actually can sometimes get very burnt out and, and resentful because they feel this constant pressure to meet external expectations, even at their own, even to their own detriment sometimes. And they have this interesting pattern when they go into obliger rebellion, which is all of a sudden, almost arbitrarily, they will s kind of snap and say, I met every expectation so far, but now on this one, I'm putting down my foot, I won't do it. And sometimes it's kind of silly and symbolic, but sometimes it's a very, very destructive pattern. And so all mm. of us around obligers really want to help them not get to that point by helping them manage through external accountability um, the things that they need to do to look after themselves. Because you don't want them to get burnt out and resentful because then this like this obliger rebellion can can happen. Yeah. And on the topic of burnout in general, like, yeah. what are some ways to avoid it when designing your habits? Because I think that burnout's not limited to just obligers. Oh, absolutely. So here's the most fun strategy. So there's 21 strategies. They're all powerful. I love them all. The most, the funniest strategy is loophole spotting, but the most fun strategy is the strategy of treats. And this is an anti-burnout strategy. So what it turns out is that we need to load ourselves with healthy treats because when we give ourselves a treat, it's like we're the cell phone getting a battery charge. We feel comforted and cared for and energized. Hmm. And you need that if you're going to use self-mastery. You know, And when you're trying to shape your good habits and when you're going around your life generally, you want to have a lot of self-mastery. And what research shows is that if you give people a little treat, their self-mastery rises. If you have them watch a funny video, if you give them a surprise gift, their self-control will rise. And so we want to load ourselves with healthy treats so we keep ourselves like in very high self-mastery. And sometimes people worry that this sounds selfish or self-indulgent, but it's really not because when you give more to yourself, you can ask more from yourself. So if you load yourself with healthy treats, then you're gonna, you can behave yourself better. Mm. And there's unhealthy treats, Food and drink, shopping and screen time are three that come to mind fast, you know, right. binge watching House of Cards until 3 a.m. <laughs> you don't want the things that are meant to make you feel better end up making you feel worse. So you don't mm. you want to avoid the healthy treats, Un unhealthy treats. But then healthy treats like I have a friend who his healthy treat is every Tuesday when iTunes releases new music, he buys new music. Okay. Or, um, you know, my husband does uh, crossword puzzles on the iPad and that's like his treat. So you want to have. 
And a lot of adults don't really have a long list of healthy treats. So you really want to go out of your way to think about what are the things that I can do that are going to make me feel energized and taken care of? Like, what are the little things in my day? Um, I know a guy, he loves to go to camping stores. He doesn't even really like camping, but he just loves the stuff. You know, there is something like so cunning and cool about just Mm. like the camping vibe. And so every once in a while when he wants, like, you know, give himself a little, like, ooh, I'm going to go to the camping store. And, you know, I feel that way about the library. Like, I love, I get a chart weird. I get a charge out of returning library books. Like I'm like, I get such a sense of satisfaction. And mm. then checking out books, I love I love walking. Like everything about going to the library is like a pleasure to me. And so for me, that's like if I need a little treat, sometimes I'll think like, you know what, I'm just gonna go to the library this afternoon for an hour. And that's gonna make me that's gonna that's gonna like lift my spirits. And that's gonna make me feel more in command of myself. So treats is a really good way. And also the strategy of scheduling, which is if something's important to you, you have to put it into the schedule. And I'm a big believer in scheduling things like goofing off or reading for fun or, you know, um, you know, pet, you know, play with my dog, you know, go for a walk in the woods. Like if if something's important to you, put it on the calendar because something that can be done at any time is often done at no time. Mm -hmm. So really put it on the calendar. These things that are going to allow you to recharge and make you feel like. Um, you aren't getting like burnt out to a crisp. Yeah, I like to call that high density fun. Yeah, there you go. Because Excellent. I we, love that phrase. We tend not to do it. Yes. Because like we, I don't know, the work just sort of spreads out and then yes. we're on Reddit or Facebook or whatever. But if you say yes. six o'clock, I'm going to go jump yes. on trampolines or something. Yes. Then well, and I give it. myself quitting time. So every mm. night, it changes every night because my schedule changes so much. But I'll say, like, this is quitting time. And after this point, I'm not checking my emails. I'm not, wor- I'm not reading for work. I'm not doing anything that I don't feel just that I'm not just doing because I feel like it, you know? Right. Um, and it's nice to have quitting time because I think, Matt, you, if you're exactly right, at work kind of pervades all of time. So you're sort of never really working, but then you're never really at leisure. So like you're goofing off for like two hours in the middle when you're supposed to be actually working, but then you're working for two hours when you're actually supposed to be at leisure. And so yeah. it's just this mix. And um, for many people, it just means they feel like they're never off duty. And mm-hmm. so it's very helpful to say like at a certain point, now I'm off duty and I can do whatever I want. Um, and I'm yes. not gonna- There's always this little tendril of stress if you don't let yourself do it. Yes. I'm guessing you're going to Australia for your book, I'm guessing, right? Well, you know, actually, there's a happiness conference every year. And okay. um, this year I get to meet the Dalai Lama. So wow. I was like, man, I'll go to Australia to meet the Dalai Lama. And, and it's perfect timing because my new book has, come, has just come out there as well. Okay. So it's a perfect, uh, perfect. It's happiness and habits. So for me, it's and I've never been to Australia before. So that'll be really fun. Yeah, that's super cool. I'm going to Japan next week. Ooh, that'll be fun. Most of the times I travel, it's for some sort of business. And I'm like trying to create content as I'm there. Um, So this this time I'm being very conscious, like about getting everything done before I leave. Ah. So there's very minimal work to do while I'm there, because I think I think I think some people need like big treats every once in a while. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And for some people, even just like planning a trip is a treat itself. Like Mm -hmm. just I myself hate planning trips like calling like making plane reservations is like my least favorite thing to do in the whole world but for some people they love it you know like the reading of the guidebooks and the looking at the possibilities and thinking about the you know the parks and the museums and the monuments and the restaurants you know they love it so i'm more of the spontaneous kind of person like i like to Uh show up and just kind of have to figure figure it it all out yeah you talked about um i think novelty lovers versus familiarity familiarity lovers. lovers yeah and 
I realized like immediately I'm a novelty lover because when I run, I have to plan out like a different route every time. Oh, interesting. That's a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'm a familiarity lover, but yeah, that's great. That's really interesting. Cool. Yeah. So I have one more question before we wrap up here. Uh, there was something that really stuck out to me when you mentioned that habits like deaden uh, mm-hmm. experiences and sort of compress the time. Yes. You don't notice it uh, as much. And you gave the example of coffee and like that immediately stuck out to me because I'm the same way now. I started drinking coffee a couple of years ago. It was amazing. And now it's just like a thing that goes into my body. Yeah. I don't even think about it, but I still yeah. make it. So are there ways you can keep habits from deadening experiences? Well, yeah, these, those are the two drawbacks to habits. Um, and, and, and in a way, though, the deadening it can be helpful in certain circumstances because what, <laughs> what it also does is it deadens positive experiences, which is not good, but it will also deaden negative things, which can be helpful. So if there's something that makes you really anxious, if, mm. it, if it becomes a habit, your anxiety will fade because as it becomes a habit, you will become used to it and it won't generate those negative emotions. So in a way that can sometimes be helpful. Okay. But yeah, it's really, it's really hard because, and I thought about this a lot with treats because if you give yourself a, something, a treat too much, it, it turns into a habit and then it isn't a treat anymore. It's just part of your everyday life. Like, oh, this is amazing. I'm going to take this scented bath and it's going to be great and bubbles and all this. You do that once a month and it's like a big treat. If you do it every day, you're like, well, this is just what this is just like I just take a bath. You know, it's not it's not exciting. Yeah. So that is one thing where if something is you want to keep something like a treat, if you want to keep it special, if you want to keep your emotional reaction to it high, you really have to limit it so that it does not fall into this automatic um, autopilot kind of um, behavior. And so you're very right to point out that in a way, habits are freeing and energizing, but they also are deadening and speeding. And so you have to really mindfully choose what's going to work for you in a particular situation. You know, brushing your teeth, it doesn't really matter if you're not interested in brushing your teeth and you don't, you hardly notice that you're brushing your teeth. It's not an experience that you, I mean, maybe you want to mindfully experience everything in your day, but you know, brushing your teeth. There it is. Um, but then there's other things where you really want it to be. Uh, you really want it to maintain that that intensity of experience. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I think that's yeah. something that I should probably make a video on because, yeah, I've been the kind of person in the past where if I find something I like, I am immediately like, I'm going to do that all the time now. Yeah, well, that's kind of abstainer. <laughs> that's kind of an abstainer. It's like all or nothing. I'm in or I'm out. And if I'm in, I'm in all the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I guess deliberately just saying this is going to be a treat yes, uh, and I will space it out to where yeah. I don't really, you know, remember it too much from the last time or. It's like playing your favorite song too many times, yes. you know, then you, then you don't love it anymore. And so you kind of, you, you can wear it out. And so, um, or rereading the same book, you know, at a certain point, it's just, it's so familiar that you don't have that same reaction. It's hard not to do that sometimes. It's hard not to just go back, go back, go back, go back, um, but yeah, but then it will, you will deaden that experience. Yeah, exactly. Well, this has been an amazing conversation and I can't wait to finish your book. I think I'm going to finish it on the plane ride. So if people want to get your book or you said you have a podcast now too, where should they go to get those things? So I have a website, GretchenRubin.com, where you can read all about habits and good hap- about good habits and happiness and way more. There's a lot of resources there and tons of stuff. Um, and you can also read about my books like The Happiness Project or Better Than Before, my, my new habits book. Um, order the books there. Um, and then this new podcast, which I'm so excited about, um, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, which is on 
iTunes and Stitcher and, you know, SoundCloud and all that. And, um, which I encourage people to check out. That's really fun. And we talk, and it's with my sister, so we don't let each other get away with much. (laughs) Um, and we talk about good habits and happiness and, you know, what you can do as part of your everyday life. Um, and I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and YouTube and all those things too. Um, so anybody who's interested in the subjects, I encourage them to check it out because there's a lot of material there. As Great. you say, it's 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 a vast and fascinating area. Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's amazing just getting into it. I mean, my life has improved markedly since getting into it, but it's also just a much vaster topic than I had originally yes imagined it would be. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. All right, well, I hope you got something interesting or useful out of this episode with Gretchen. If you want, you can follow her on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and you can follow me on Twitter as well at Tom Frankly if you want to get new updates about the new podcast episodes and videos that are coming out every single week, along with the occasional blog post from Ransom, my student writer. So, hey, thanks for listening to this episode. Once again, those show notes are over at CIGpodcast.com at the episode 63 link. You'll find all the good stuff there, and if you want to support the show and help it keep growing and spreading to new uh, audiences and ears you can always leave a review on itunes if you haven't done that yet there is a link to instructions in those show notes it's massively helpful for the show so if you've gotten this far and you enjoyed it and you got something useful that's definitely a way you can say thank you for free other than that i will see you in the next episode and uh stay cute thanks for listening to the college info geek podcast grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com